1: Welcome to episode 34 of The Hilo, the weekly news, current affairs and pop culture podcast brought to you by journalists Pandora Sykes and Dolly Alderton. This week I have mostly been baffled firstly by Rita Ora's outfit at the VMAs. Have you seen that?
2: Yeah, did you, you see, see what Emma Gannon's wearing? tweet was very funny.
1: No, she, what did she say? See, the,
2: the outfit is like a towel turban in a dressing gown. Yeah. And Emma Gannon said, when a freelancer's asked to go out that evening.
1: <laughs> she, her, her style choices are completely bizarre. Someone said it was like a nice satire on the Harvey Weinstein allegations. <laughs>
2: Maybe it was. I don't know, know if she's, if she's that deep thinking with the old...
1: It looks absolutely extraordinary. Anyway, so that was the first thing I was baffled by. The second thing I've been baffled by this week are turmeric lattes, which seem to be the new big thing. I'm seeing them on Twitter. I'm seeing them on Instagram. I opened up the question on my Twitter as to whether or not the world has gone mad. And I got... um tons of responses. Anyway, in my quest to prove that turmeric lattes are bullshit, I rung up my oldest friend, Rosie Saunt, who is a registered dietitian at King's College London and the co-founder of the Rooted Project, an award-winning enterprise which sets out to make evidence-based nutrition accessible. In short, she busts food myths like clean eating, for instance, and I hope turmeric lattes. So I spoke to Rosie last night and here's what she had to say.
0: I think lots of people think turmeric lattes are really healthy because of their supposed anti-inflammatory benefits. They have been drunk for centuries in places like India, like Golden Milk, um, but they've become more trendy here recently. The issue is the part in turmeric that scientists get quite excited about is called curcumin. But curcumin is only found in turmeric in levels as low as two to three percent, so really, really tiny amounts, which means you probably will need to eat a huge amount of turmeric. get any beneficial effects far more than would be in your turmeric latte you'd be buying
1: can you explain to me because i know it's something that you and your partner helen discussed at the Mm. stylist live talk you did at the weekend why is it then that people are going so friggin nuts for it is it literally just it looks kind of pretty and food trends spread really quickly through social media
0: it looks pretty we get drawn into things that are grounded in a bit of science so that have a thread of science running through so if we look at some research studies we can see that turmeric does have an anti-inflammatory benefit Um, we also get quite drawn into things that have been used by people for centuries so a nod to ancient wisdom because we feel that if it's been done time and time again there must be some benefit to it a turmeric latte is Highly unlikely to do anything magical to your body. I would probably concentrate on adding it to your curries.
1: So you can go drink a normal latte instead?
0: You can definitely drink a normal latte.
1: Yes, I win! I win! (laughs) I know all about science. Thanks very much, Rosie. (laughs) I
2: find it really interesting that she says that it would need such a huge amount to make any difference. Because those turmeric lattes, you can barely... It's just a whiff, a tiny whiff of turmeric. So you might as well just... Have a coffee. But then equally, let people spend their stupid money on what they want.
1: What I found really interesting is she says that we're really in a time where people are like obsessed with what, you know, old cultures did. Mm. But then that Mm. also doesn't really work because someone was saying to me the other day that she stopped eating meat because there's absolutely no goodness in it and we've never been able to digest it. And people have been doing that since caveman time. So there's sort of... Not really a consistency. (laughs) Uh, In terms of what I've been downloading mentally and literally, I read Everything I Never Told You by Celeste Ng, which has been compared to The Lovely Bones. It was a New York Times bestseller. um, And it's a heavenly book about a 16-year-old Chinese-American girl called Lydia who drowns in a lake. And it isn't a whodunit so much as it is a... Thoughtful and poetic look at what it means to be a mixed-race family in rural America in the 70s and Mm. all the things that led Lydia to her death. And it's written um, really well. On BBC iPlayer, I gobbled up Motherland, which my mother-in-law told me to watch. Shout out to Liz. Which has had a lot of press as it was co-written by Sharon Horgan of Catastrophe fame. It's really divided opinion, this show. Has it? Mm. Well, I mean, I thought you don't have to have kids to love it. There's this wonderful character who you could call in a sort of pitching session a drunk mum, but she's not actually so lazily drawn. And she's played by Diane Morgan, who just has the best lines. Like, in response to the main character, Julia, who's played by Anna Maxwell, she's having this dilemma over her kids' impending party. And Diane Morgan's character, Liz, just goes, just get four coal on the caterpillars, stick them all together, to make a human centipede, and then whack it on the table. Don't give them a knife, just let them dig their creepy little hands in which is
2: so funny
1: what was the mixed response to it i haven't actually read that much in terms of reviews aside from louis wise who was like yeah it's nice (laughs) yeah i think it's people
2: have so many opinions on motherhood and what is an accurate reflection of motherhood and what parenting is like so a lot of any criticism i've seen a lot of praise for it but any criticism i've seen is people are people saying this isn't the this isn't my experience of parenthood
1: yeah, it's a bit like saying that was not my experience of a ham sandwich, or that was not my experience of Thailand. Yeah, I think people or that is not, are, not my experience quite, of a turmeric latte. I think people can be quite defensive and precious about motherhood in a way. Oh my god, I know. Yeah, Motherland. There are bits that annoyed me. The main character Juliet. She's so I can't juggle all my balls. It's like you know, it's ridiculous. She's always running from A to B and everything's always falling apart and everything like that so it is a bit ridiculous like that but I just really enjoyed um, some of the writing like creepy little hands in just me. Yes, as such a good expression and it sounds
2: like it's a good cross section of different types of I think, you, I think you
1: should give it a go I think you'd yeah, like you it will. I watched all six episodes in one go actually three hours with um, Sharon Hawken I will watch that. yeah she's really Doing brilliant, isn't she? I fell down a Louis through hole after your excellent insert last week, Dolly. Of Louis falsettoing his way through the Adam Buxton podcast, which seems to be the most successful insert we've ever done, incidentally, (laughs) if the mess is anything to go by. And possibly our most successful interlude ever, bar my misunderstanding of R. Kelly's role in. the field of the music industry um, I listened to another episode of Louis through on Adam Buxton's podcast where they investigate the curious idea of vocal fry oh I've listened to that Yeah, which I'm now completely obsessed with it's when people speak in that like really croaky register and a lot of American journalists yeah, do it yeah it's really like that yeah. and I find it really interesting it's so they're so gimpy Louis and Adam and I just want to be in there because they're so obsessed with language and sort of know, etymology I which I, love I absolutely it. love I have that when I listen to them I'm like I want to I be want your to be buddy there. so much I know, I know. No, and I was, but it, yeah, I find the vocal fry thing really interesting because I think it's a riposte to the kind of Southern California Valley Girl rat, tat, which is like, oh my God, and then I went out like this, and then I was going up and I was going down, and it was all around, and do you know what I mean? Yeah, and vocal yeah. fry is like this rollo um, like, life is so difficult, where's my Xanax? And there's this real comparison between. I am very them. good at that, Pandora. <laughs> I, um, I am really obsessed with how America's tones yeah. as much as their buzzwords slang internet speak affect us mm. do you think my daughter's going to be vocal frying can you you kick hear, out of you do if do she does i will. You in do a non-physical way i'm now completely obsessed with louis through and do you think we can get him on the hilo
2: can we get louis through on the podcast my god that's the dream
1: if anyone knows louis do you serve him his coffee do you walk his dog? He's in LA. Do you now. babysit his children? We, I'm sure we've got listeners there. I thought you were going to say we could go to LA. Um, I think we sort of could, maybe. I think I can for about the next month. And okay, let's after do that it. it gets let's difficult. Do it. So, because of my um, through a hole, I then went and watched a lot of his stuff on BBC iPlayer, and I know I am much so late to the party, but I really enjoyed. Not sure that's even the right word. Um, was fascinated by his devastating documentaries, including the one on heroin Mm. and the one on anorexia. Mm. Scientology is next on my list. Yeah, And after that, and I've heard it's very good for anyone looking for something else, I'm going to hopefully watch it this week, I want to watch Extreme Wives, um, which is a documentary on BBC iPlayer about um, different representations of marriage marriage. around the world, which sounds really interesting. Which which we're touching on later. Just a
2: comment on the Scientology um, did you like it? I did. It's quite a different format to the other documentaries he's done because it's reenactment. But it is still it's good, and I'm fascinated with Scientology. He goes on What the Fuck with Mark Maron to talk about the Scientology film, and it's a really interesting interview with him and Mark Maron.
1: Oh, I'll I'll see So watch, to watch the Scientology
2: that. thing and then listen to the WTF.
1: I do find Scientology incredibly problematic because of its. Um crossover with Hollywood Mm. Um, I know obviously I'm not alone in that but it is very interesting how people keep being uh, it doesn't seem to affect their credentials speaking of did you see that Dustin Hoffman presented an award at some
3: awards in LA a few days ago
1: it was like the scandal had never happened I actually haven't really kept up to date with what's happened with Dustin Hoffman specifically but that Mm. was quite interesting Mm. Um, lastly just a couple of great pieces of journalism I've been enjoying this week One was a different kind of pregnancy announcement by Leandra Medine on Man Repeller, which beautifully details Leandra's three-year struggle to get pregnant and why, now that she is pregnant, it does not mean, quote-unquote, that she has graduated from compassion for those struggling. Um, She's such good writing, It's filled with such great snippets of writing. Again, to quote, she says that she's still empathetic to the fact that life is freckled with fangs which well, I loved mainly because I love illustration
2: and I just really respect her for how honest she's been throughout this whole journey you know listen to her monocycle episodes I think it's a really powerful thing and it must have been difficult at times to
1: share to the be like oh shared. now I've won or yeah. I've succeeded or yes, I've exactly. overcome yeah. yeah I also loved how the myth of the artistic genius excuses the abuse of women by Amanda Hess for the New York Times I read that after you sent it to me it's it really, really keys into piece. our discussion that we had last week on whether or not the art can be separated from the artist speaking of i was really disappointed to read i'm interested to know what you think of this actually because i don't know whether or not it comes down to but is it her responsibility but i sort of think it is i was a bit disappointed to read two interviews with hayley atwell this week who of course is the actress emma thompson defended from weinstein and mm. his execs mm. when they said she needed to lose weight on a film and in both of them she was very happy to condemn weinstein mm. but stayed silent On Woody Allen and his abuse of his daughter and in one of the two interviews she doesn't mention it at all in the other when Elizabeth Day um previous Hilo alumni um when Elizabeth Day says you know how do you feel about having worked on a film with Woody Allen and she says well his wife's really strong and the relationship balance is really good so you know I'm not worried and I tweeted Elizabeth saying am I being mad or is not is the point that he molested Dylan. And she said, yes, that was the point. She wouldn't be drawn on it. Mm. And I was quite disappointed by that Mm. because um, she is a woman that is revered for really speaking her mind. In fact, the interview, not the one Elizabeth did, the other one, I can't remember where I read it, very much was like outspoken, ballsy. Mm. I think it was Grazia. And I was like, well, not that outspoken because she has obviously just worked with Woody Mm. and potentially wants to work with him again. And I do think that's problematic. I'm not saying that women should be responsible for calling out all the injustices. But I think it's slightly complicated to say one sex pest is the pits, but the other's sort of OK because their wife's really great.
2: Yeah, I agree. And I think that there's still this this very much a Woody Allen blind spot in show business um, and with audiences, and I sort of include myself in that because I've been guilty in the past, I think, of skirting around the discussion And the accusations against Woody Allen for fear of it taking away legitimacy of the work that's meant a lot to me. And I think it's an auteur thing that people like Harvey Weinstein, it's easier to publicly slam him because
1: he's not an artist. He's not an artist. This is what I mean.
2: Exactly. So like there's more of a separation there. And I think we still have this thing that's like those auteurs somehow operate in their own solar system where their transgressions are a trade-off for their genius. That perhaps, perhaps that by being a genius there's a dark underside that comes with it or something. I don't know. And also, disappointingly, I think what it comes down to with actors, because again and again, these amazing people...
1: Keep, keep Emma Stone. Don't
2: say anything about Woody Allen. I think it's because there's a real historic prestige about being cast and in a Woody who, Allen and film. And I do
1: understand, um, and this isn't something that's really been applied to all of the sex scandals of late, but I do understand innocent until proven guilty. Yeah. But his daughter... <laughs> has alleged he molested her and everyone in their family is on her side. Yeah. That's enough. Yeah, yeah. That's enough to yeah. think as a woman. Yeah. Um, anyway, I'm sure she had her reasons for omitting what she omitted, but I was disappointed. I have also been
2: listening to Adam Buxton this week. I'm just bloody obsessed. I listened to the Miranda Sawyer episode this week which I've heard was brilliant, and it was completely brilliant. Miranda Sawyer is a very brilliant Guardian journalist. She
1: did a very funny interview with Bjork this weekend. Oh, did she? she the Observer. Google it. You can read it online for free.
2: Yeah, she's uh, she's a really fab journalist, and she writes, as Panda says, she writes about music, she writes about radio, and she wrote a book called Out of Time. Do you remember that? It came out last year, I think, mm. and um, I read some of it, and I found it so raw and difficult I couldn't carry on Um, and that's completely on me that's nothing to do with her writing that's because of personal anxieties that I have the book's about a midlife crisis in middle age and the book is about a time in her life when she realised that she was in her 40s and basically she realised she had less time left in life than she had lived so she yeah confronting it's very confronting and I'm someone who's always kind of suffered with death anxiety. I've always... Yeah, me too. Obsessed with it. Yeah, and and Miranda Sawyer in this interview says that she she got to a point where... And she's in her 40s, I'm only 29, but I've been doing this for years, where she started doing something she calls um, death maths, I think is the phrase she used, where you start calculating you know things that you might have missed opportunities you might have missed um all the time you have left what you can do within that time um and I just I actually really enjoyed listening to her talking about it um in the interview because she's obviously out the other side of it in a way and in the end I found it kind of reassuring um but you know it is and 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 ultimately the vibe i got from her is that by confronting the inevitability of time and the passage of time and the end it kind of has freed her up more because i think in western society we're in total denial about we have this omnipotent delusion that we're going to live forever and i think actually that can be really dangerous to think that and i think the more we talk about the realities of getting I older. Do. I don't
1: think we necessarily have a delusion with living forever. I think oh, we I have think an obsession with youth, which means that the ageing population is woefully neglected. Yeah, totally. But I don't know if I think... I think we don't confront death in this, in this culture. In this... Sometimes I find it quite comforting to know that I won't be alive when certain shit hits the fan. <laughs> I hope <laughs> that it will happen after my... Like I, I think that like dinosaurs and everything like that will come back after I've died. What? How do I unpack my that book. sentence? If that's my book. You think don't.
2: dinosaurs and everything will I've come sold back. sold it to
1: everyone. Go away.
2: <laughs> okay, well, if you'd um, like some more searing observations on that, then listen to Miranda Sawyer on Adam Buxton. It's brilliant. I actually would really like to play an extract now, Charlie, if that's okay. Something that is bleak
1: but important. Don't ask Charlie his permission. He is oh, not sorry. your gatekeeper just because he is a man.
3: <laughs> really, once you're past your mid-40s, you're way over the halfway line. And that's quite a hard thing to get to grips with. And at the same time, and this is quite sh- common about midlife crises, something happened. So basically, I had a child and uh, I had our second kid, and I had her quite late when I was 43. And that obviously messes with you anyway because you had a kid. But then I really started doing death mass because I kind of was working out how long I'm going to be bringing her up and what I had left. And it was minimal, you know, <laughs> I shouldn't be out the door till I was in my 60s. And I was thinking, well, this is it then, this is it. There's nothing left. I'm going to be bringing up kids and then I'm going to die. <laughs> yeah. And, and that sounds absolutely ludicrously pathetic and selfish, but that's what I felt like. I felt like I've done it all wrong. I haven't achieved anything. My potential is just gone. Basically, I'm on the long slope down to death. And it was a really strong feeling. I would wake up in the middle of the night. I'd have to wake up in the middle of the night because I had a baby. But, you know, I would just ripped my life to bits. I also fought the good fight
2: yesterday. I was walking from Bank Station to a restaurant in Bank, and a young woman was walking next to me, she's about my age, and this... Sort you got of... in a fight with a stranger, didn't you? I can
1: feel I it. I did, I did.
2: <laughs> yeah. I'm putting out fires all over the place. Um, and this man, who's this kind of zany French man, who had this very big SLR camera with a very big flash suddenly went underneath this woman under her chin, like right in front of her in her space and took three really fast, really high flash photos of her. And she kind of looked very shocked. And then I just said to her, do you know that guy? And she was like, no. She looked really kind of shell-shocked by it. And I was like... So weird. I was like... And I was like, he's such a dickhead. She's like, yeah. And then we were just walking along for a bit longer and I was like, do you want me to go tell him to delete it? She was like, yeah, I do. (laughs) And I took her with me like she was my daughter and I marched her. Up to him, and I said, "Excuse me, you just took a photo that I'd like you to delete." And he was like, "Oh, I didn't take it of you." And I literally pointed at her like my child. I was like, "No, you took it of this young lady, and I'd like you to delete it now." And he deleted it in front of us, and he was like, "I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry." And I was like, "Don't." Why fucking... did he do it? Because he's a fucking idiot. I was like, "Don't fucking take pictures of women without asking." And then I left her, and she just squeezed my hand, said thank you, and then we just went went on separate ways. and I'm not telling this story to be martyry. I'm telling this story because I don't think I would have done that a year ago, and something I've realized is that the whole me too thing has really affirmed for me is that it's so much more powerful as a woman when you have a vote of confidence and I know that she wouldn't have said anything on t- on her own to him and I wouldn't have said anything probably on my own to him if it happened to me because you don't want to seem like a party pooper or like you're making a fuss or it's embarrassing but then the minute there were two of us we were like these teachers and he was like this pathetic little boy that was being told off and it was a really great moment just to remember that when we see these things happen to be on each other's side and call it out because... It's sometimes easier to get angry about something when it's not you as well.
1: Yes, definitely. Ending
2: on a lighter note for what I've been up to this week, um, have you heard of a drink called a Fernet Branca? What's a Fernet Branca? Well, I'll tell you. A Fernet Branca is a brand of Amaro bitter herbal liqueur. Bernardino Branca invented the Fernet Branca bitter in Milan in 1845. I mean, I'm not going to remember that. So, that sounds
1: revolting. A it's bitter pretty, herbal. It's pretty liquor. revolting, but
2: it's pretty magic. So, me—is that what got you
1: so drunk yesterday? Uh, on Saturday, actually. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yesterday was thanks to the old thanks to the old black velvets, which is Guinness. I know I saw that on your Instagram, but I don't even know what that means. So I thought it might be the a, a, a bitter herbal liqueur. No, no, it's, it's Guinness and champagne a black
2: velvet. Drunk from a tankard. Um, You're a strange woman. So Lauren and I were going out on Saturday night and we had that kind of late 20s, nearing 30 conundrum where we're like, we really like the idea of going out, but we know the minute we leave the house, we will just want to be back at home eating crisps. How do we get ourselves geared up for it? And then I remembered that when my friend Alex was here from New York, she introduced me to this drink called Fernet Branca and she was like... It just peps you up. It's this amazing minty drink that's like a sort of liquid legal amphetamine. And I. <laughs> it just perks. It's kind of like an espresso martini. Anyway, there was none to be found in all of Camden. We combed all the streets. Finally, we found an offie that sold it. And then uh, we drank it, had a lovely time. And then Lauren just lost her mind on Fernet Branca. And we were, we, we, had to, we were only at the party for about an hour. And Lauren was so pissed we had to come home. It was like we were teenagers. And then in the cab on the way home, we were talking about feminism. And then Lauren obviously went into this weird sort of semi-hallucination where she said... furno of feminism <laughs> She said, yeah, she, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I think if you were to ask 100 women in John Lewis, they would all say no.
1: John Lewis.
2: And I didn't know what she was saying, but I didn't want she to revealed, crown. Her,
1: her, revealed her bourgeois tendencies.
2: Exactly, from her unconscious mind. And then she looked out of the taxi window and then looked back at me and she said, I don't think it made sense what I just said. <laughs> I was like, I don't know. So are you
3: to
1: recommending me. this drink to I listeners?
2: would, in moderation. I would say one Fernet Branca you're sorted for the night.
1: Does it taste nice?
2: I like that sort of herbal hit.
3: So you quite
2: like boozy tasting booze, though. Do I? You like a Negroni. I don't like a Negroni, or oh, whiskey, or rum. Okay, you don't, sorry.
1: Or ma- what do most... I drink with
2: you? We normally drink wine.
1: Wine, or um, mar- a martini, but a flavoured one, you see. Right. No, I don't love the taste of alcohol. There we go. What would you do if I remained sober for the rest of my life? Well...
2: I wouldn't say we drift apart. No, that's a joke. I would love you exactly the same.
1: She's lying. Thank you, as (laughs) ever, for your wonderful listener emails. Here's one we wanted to read out on last week's topic of arranged versus forced marriage. I am a second generation Muslim Indian immigrant and we have a caste system, which means that the man I need to marry has to be Muslim Gujarati and his family needs to have come from the right part of India. Otherwise, it's a no me and my sister have been both set up and although we are completely open-minded to meeting you guys there are things about this that drives me nuts for instance before the meeting happens exchanges about myself are shared with the guy's mother with her asking me various questions women don't get to ask any questions about the men we are just lucky to be getting a husband here are some of the questions that have been asked about me do you wear a hijab how often do you pray how tall are you how old are you what did you study Will you work after marriage? I've said no to ever wanting a second meeting with any of the men I've met. Often I think the case is they're mentally checking off a checklist that they've formed which would make the ideal wife. Can she cook? Will she be able to have kids? immediately after marriage, or as one guy asked me, am I religious because he's not, and he wanted me to make sure the children were. That was extraordinary, that detail.
2: We really appreciate um, you sharing your stories and experiences. Educating us. Mm. Another email we had was from a woman who'd worked in Pune in India for some time and had a team of women who'd either engaged in love marriages or arranged marriages. She says you were considered modern if you'd had a love marriage. She recommended the book Committed by Elizabeth Gilbert who famously wrote Eat, Pray, Love and said the book is a study of marriage across many different cultures and highlights how rare the Western model
1: is. We also got an email from Electra, who works for the PIN Project, an initiative that supports the self-reliance of refugees. Launched by a coalition of social enterprises, the PIN Project sells a little gold pin that you can wear on your clothes, which are handmade by refugees, displaced people and returnees living in the world's most troubled regions. The pins are $25 and sold through a Kickstarter campaign, we will link in the show notes and on Twitter 65 million people have been displaced from their homes due to war By purchasing a pin you can put money directly into their pockets Working closely with local NGOs Proceeds from the campaign will be used to train the displaced people In new skills and buying tools and machinery for their workshops Buy your pin now and it will be delivered in May 2018 Ready to be worn on World Refugee Day on June the 20th Support for the Hilo comes from
2: Google Pixel 2. Google has been built on asking questions and challenging the status quo. From search to email to maps and beyond, it has a history of challenging the norm
1: and finding a better way. Each week we are going to do a curiosity challenge in which Dolly or I pose a question to each other encompassing the Hilo's ethos of covering all things from the philosophical to the personal to the surreal. You may remember last week that Dolly asked me the meaning of true love. I wanted to catch you out something really hard and now I know it's going to come
2: and bite me in the butt this week.
1: Well I nailed it because I'm a love guru. Yeah, of course. So Dolly, this week, in light of everything that's been going on in the news, I ask you this. Will we ever have equality? Nice and light that one. I think to steal the words of
2: Barack Obama, oppression casts a very long shadow. And particularly when you think about awareness and education around, particularly, race and gender equality, they're relatively new and how ingrained and systemic and historic those isms are. I think each generation unties a knot in our consciousness with these isms. And one day we'll get to a point where there are no more knots to inherit.
1: But I think it will be hundreds, sadly, rather than tens of years. Me too. Speaking of Google, we had a gloriously fangirl reaction to our first picture from our series shot on a Google Pixel 2 phone. The camera seriously is sublime. We shared it on Instagram last week, where we were both wearing the Hilo pyjamas created by the marvellous British pyjama brand Poplin London. We'll be drip-feeding you Google Pixel pics over the next six months. Thanks very much to Google Pixel 2. Speaking of Poplin, those kind fellows over there have offered the Hilo an exclusive discount code if you want to buy yourself a pair of the pink neon classic pyjamas, which is white with the neon pink piping, just like we were wearing. Head to poplin.co.uk and you can enjoy a 20% discount when you use the code The Low. Do note, only available on those pyjamas, the neon pink ones. The pyjamas retail normally at £115, but the discount there will be £92. You can even get the high-low embroidered on them if you want to go full merch, <laughs> which we gathered from the comments on Instagram, some of you do. It's now time for
2: the top line, which is a quick-fire round of 10 stories from the last week. <laughs>
1: is the top line. It's a fabulous week for Australia, who have at last voted in support of same-sex marriage. 61.6% voted yes in a non-binding postal vote this week. Woohoo! As Kindle turns 10, Amazon have revealed that Fifty Shades of Grey is their most popular Kindle book of all time, followed by three Hunger Games books, two more Fifty Shades, and in seventh place, Gone Girl. Jesus weeps. And so do I. (laughs) (laughs) A study has found that stamp duty is blocking 45,000 house purchases a year. Philip Hammond comes under growing pressure to cut the tax, which has doubled in the last five years. Serial killer Rose West's nephew has been jailed for 18 years for the abduction and rape of a 12-year-old girl who he plied with alcohol, cocaine and weed. The vulnerable 12-year-old was in the protection of a care worker when she was lured away by Stephen Letts. One of her greatest vulnerabilities is that she actually looked much older than she was, says Judge Jamie Tabor, QC. A gunman in California killed four people and injured one child on Tuesday, the same day that family members of the Sandy Hook Elementary School shooting victims were in court in a case challenging gun companies for marketing and selling an AR-15-style rifle. Almost 1.2 million people have been killed by guns in America since John Lennon was shot by Mark Chapman in 1980, more than in all of the US wars together Zimbabwe is in political turmoil after a rumoured military coup which has seen 93 year old dictator Robert Mugabe taken into custody the military have denied a coup and said that Mugabe is safe What the Zimbabwe Defence Forces is doing is to pacify a degenerating political, social and economic situation in our country, which, if not addressed, may result in a violent conflict, said a spokesperson. Many have welcomed the news of a military takeover, as it will bring the end to Mugabe's despised and dangerous regime, whilst others remain nervous of civil war. Country singer and husband of Nicole Kidman, Keith Urban, has released an empowerment song called Female, which he wrote in the wake of the Weinstein allegations. When somebody laughs and implies that she asked for it just because she was wearing a skirt, now is that how it works? When somebody talks about how it was Adam first, does that make you second best or did he save the best for last? Those are lyrics. Very,
3: very David Brent.
1: EU migrants who become British citizens can bring in spouses and partners from non-EU countries. The European Court of Justice ruled this week in a defeat for the government. The court said that an Algerian illegal migrant had the right to live in Britain with his wife, Garcia Ormezabal, who is from Spain and has become a British citizen whilst also retaining her Spanish nationality. The Simpsons has been accused of racism by American comedian Harry Kondabolu. Harry has made a documentary called The Problem with Apu about long-standing character Apu, the manager of the Quickie Mart store. Harry argues that Apu's amusingly unpronounceable surname, high-pitched voice and cliched immigrant job contribute to Apu being seen as a figure of fun on the show and makes day-to-day life harder for South Asian communities. Mattel have announced that their latest Barbie will wear a hijab. Based on American Olympian Ibtihaz Muhammad, the doll will have lashings of eyeliner, strong legs and a hijab, as specified by the fencer herself. And that was the Top Line.
2: I can't believe that Kindle fact,
3: but then I think of all the books that you're going to
2: read secretly, without someone seeing the cover, it would be Fifty Shades of Grey on a Kindle. Did you know
1: that Zoella is the fastest selling debut author of all time?
2: Surely not.
1: Yes, I read it in the Sunday Times culture. Might be in the UK, regardless, she's the fastest selling debut author of all time. So Keith Urban got a lot of shit for that song, but... I kind of did think, I'm not sure we should really be wasting our time right now trouncing a man who's singing about the injustices against women. As you say, the lyrics are very Brentian. It's just cringy. And the word female is slightly (laughs) odd. He kept on saying, I know a lot of females. Like, I grew up with females. Like, just call them women. But there's so much bloody fondling going on. I'd rather we focused our critique on that. Mm. And also, Nicole Kidman's done a lot better with this husband. He's writing songs about empowering women. The last one, we know about him. Mm. He doesn't do such good stuff. (laughs)
2: new app called Make App has been created solely for the purpose of adding or removing makeup to any photo with the implied purpose to show women barefaced. Its Apple Store description reads Make App lets you add or remove makeup from any face. Choose a photo or video, press
1: one button and let the app do its magic. It's been a controversial story this week, as you can imagine. The app's creator, Ashot Gabrielianov, says he developed the technology to help authorities recognise victims of human trafficking. In most of these cases, makeup is heavily used to disguise the age and or identity of these people, he said. If human traffickers can hide these victims' identities, their chances of rescue are low. When security services show an image and say, is this your daughter? Heavily applied permanent makeup makes the identification process quite difficult. We hope our technology may help families and authorities identify victims for rescue. This all sounds very valiant, but it's also slightly the strangest defence of an app called Makeup I've ever heard. Mm. I'm not sure I think that Makeup is going to solve human trafficking. Don't buy it. Because a father might not recognise his daughter with makeup on. Anyway, in reality, makeup has been largely interpreted as a nasty little tool to humiliate women. The app has been called Sexist, with
2: Madison Malone Kircher writing for The Cut it's makeup as a concept not a technology that's both laughable and problematic Mm. after all the makeup free version is just another filter it's no more or less real than a selfie that's been run through Facetune or VSCO or tweaked a bit with Instagram and the idea that someone might need an app to help them figure out what somebody's face celebrity or normie looks like without makeup is comical but hey better safe than sorry you never know who's out there with a bag full of glossier trying to scam you
1: Pandora what do you think do you think it's sexist lovely the phrase normie (laughs) just a couple of normies I don't know if I think it's sexist per se but I do think it's really weird and most unfairly it doesn't just strip women of makeup it makes them really blotchy and puffy too even Angelina Jolie post makeup does not look that hot Gabrielle Ainov has acknowledged incidentally that they have to work on the blotchiness I do think it's so funny
2: that the western world has created this culture where To be a woman and to survive and thrive, you're constantly at the mercy of physical assessment. Are you thin enough? Are you feminine enough? Are you fertile enough? Are you attractive enough without asking for sexual abuse? Are you smart enough? Are you concealing your bodily functions enough? Mm. Basically, are you perfect enough? That's the world we live in. And then, after going through that rigmarole from adolescence, it's as if we're also trying to be caught out doing it, which is just so exhausting. It's like the heat circle of shame stuff. It's, you know, something as small and everyday as making sure you don't have your box of tampons visible in your handbag, making sure it's never revealed how time consuming the process of masquerading in traditional femininity can be. And that's what this app is for me. It's a tool to humiliate and expose and embarrass women simply for doing the thing that's demanded of us day to
1: day to be accepted. I think that's really interesting, but I hadn't thought that the intention was necessarily that. What I did think was interesting is that there truly is an app now for everything, both good and bad. I remember writing about plastic surgery apps when they came out three years ago for The Times. And they were really big thing then. They were run by these sort of hooky plastic surgeons, one of whom told me when I used the app I needed a nose job. And I actually no like booked an assessment with him for the purpose of this piece. I'd never even worried about my nose before that. And actually, I haven't worried about it since. Don't worry, I've worried about lots of other things, but not my snout. Um, <laughs> I think it's more that technology is advanced in ways that aren't aligning with you know cultural psychology. They definitely aren't aligning in ways that benefit society. And the creators just aren't thinking about the ramifications. I mean, just this week. One of the creators of Facebook admitted that um, they created the like button to make people addicted to the hit of dopamine. God, they that's knew dark. they were doing that. And they sort of did said they didn't even feel that bad about it. Um, and I think that creating an app that strips people of their makeup is partly funny, mostly cruel, but totally pointless. Um, I don't agree that it specifically adds to the tyranny against women, but I did just suddenly have this thought: has this been born in? response to the insane amounts of makeup worn by the kardashians and these other perhaps beauty superstars because whilst i am fully in agreement that women should go bare-faced or pile on the slap i do find it really problematic how much makeup young women on the internet wear i do it does make me sad Mm. so i wonder if it's
2: something yeah maybe that it maybe it is a riposte to that I just, I really begrudge the idea that women, be it celebrities or normies like <laughs> you and I, are somehow tricking everyone with yeah. their makeup. Because the implied thing there, yeah, the implied thing there goes back to bloody Adam and Eve. Is that it's like wicked and duplicitous to wear makeup, and for a lot of women, sadly, as you mentioned, I'm sure they feel they have to wear it to be accepted, and that is very upsetting. But also for other women, like you and I, it's fun. It's a creative process.
1: So I actually did the makeup earlier. Um, and it wasn't that so this was my original. OK. Then that's Oh, there's no difference at all.: it's Just a bit blurry. I don't think I yeah, wear enough it, makeup then? for it to make a big difference. I mean, you almost look more attractive with it off. So, makeup works for me, and as a conclusion, I think it's a wonderful idea. No, I'm joking.
2: <laughs> I think what annoys me about it is it goes back to the story I told in the intro about the man, the French man with the camera, or Gina Martin, who we mentioned last week's episode with her campaign to make upskirt photography illegal. I don't like when men, and it is a man, unsurprisingly, who's come up with this app. I don't like when particular men take something from a woman like this. Taking an image or removing her makeup, it's like a hands-off invasion of space and it makes me feel uncomfortable. I would feel so uncomfortable if someone took a photo of me on the tube without me knowing, then used the app to sort of x-ray through the great trickery that is
1: my concealer and mascara. I just would find it uncomfortable and embarrassing. I can see that. It's like, you know, someone trying to expose your vulnerabilities, which, as you say, is further complicated when said creator is a man if anyone is interested in what i look like without makeup uh
2: instantly i'm sure no one is but in case you are you don't ever need to use that makeup app on me i can just tell you it's jim broadbent in a wig so just google jim broadbent imagine a big old blonde tarty wig on him and that's what i look like nearly every week when i come in to do the record don't i panda
1: yeah you think that you are either jim broadbent or vanessa Phelps, who's a
2: very glamorous
1: woman you're actually on my phone as vanessa broadbent No, I'm not. No, you're not, but you might soon be peesh-peesh. (laughs) Peesh-peesh. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. You might remember in the top line, a few weeks ago, we mentioned the tragic story of a British woman jailed in Iran on accusations of plotting against the country's government. Nazanin Zaghari Ratcliffe, a 38-year-old project manager with the Thomson Reuters Foundation, was arrested in April of last year as she was returning to Britain from a family holiday with her then one-year-old daughter. She was sentenced to five years in prison after being found guilty of plotting to overthrow Iran's clerical establishment, charges she and her family fiercely deny. She has thus far served 19 months of her sentence.
2: The story's taken an even more frustrating and upsetting turn this week when Foreign Secretary Boris Johnson, king of bluster and blunder, got a piece of information wrong when speaking publicly about the case, which could lead to an even more serious charge against Nazanin. He condemned Nazanin's detention as a mockery of justice at a session of the Foreign Affairs Select Committee. He went on to say, if you look at what Nazanin Zagari Ratcliffe was doing, she was simply teaching people journalism, as I understand, at the very limit.
1: Just extraordinary. No one really knows where he got that from, including Boris. So Boris was swiftly condemned by all parties as Nazanin was not teaching journalists. But more importantly, his mistaken words could mean that Nazanin's sentence is now increased. Nazanin's husband, who wrote an impassioned piece for this week's Grazia magazine and has been on various news outlets, has called for Boris to clear up his mess and get her out. It is important that the Foreign Secretary issues a correction and that the ambassador does in the Iranian media before Nazanin is taken for sentencing so that this mistake is not used against her in her trial, he said. What a mess. Boris Johnson
2: has apologised for the distress and suffering he's caused with the comments he made and retracted any suggestion she was there in a professional capacity. I actually heard Richard Ratcliffe. He's this woman's poor poor husband speaking on the radio the other day and he seemed to be in this very terrifying place of treading on eggshells with everything he did or said so that none of it could be used against his wife and he said he wanted to speak out against Boris Johnson and have this potentially very damaging factual error corrected. But he also said there have been calls for Boris Johnson to resign, and he said that it's in no interest to Nazanin that Boris Johnson resigns because he's very aware that he doesn't want any of this to be misconstrued as him being Machiavellian or manipulative or corrupt in the eyes of Iranian press
1: or law, so he just can't really win. I didn't really think of that. I thought he'd probably be calling for his resignation out of fury. But that's interesting, as you say, that that Iran could... um, interpret anything as a sign of her guilt. Yes. Or her or, innocence. Or corruption indeed. I think one of the reasons why he's having to be so careful is he's been banned from Iran for speaking against the regime in um, Tehran so he can't actually visit Nazanin mm. or his daughter who mm. is stuck out there with her grandparents. In his Grazia article Richard said, I speak to Nazanin for an hour a week. She's been doing better recently. She's on antidepressants and an award with interesting, caring political prisoners. I'm so interested as to who all those political prisoners are and how many of them, like Nazanin, are completely innocent. So Richard hasn't been able to visit his baby daughter, who is now almost three for Nazanin's entire incarceration due to criticising Tehran. Nazanin's parents, who live there, have taken the toddler Gabriella to visit their mother twice a week. So Richard, heartbreakingly, is without both his wife and his daughter, who is able to speak at night via the phone um, with her grandparents. As we mentioned in the intro, Boris Johnson
2: is known for this sort of buffoonery and for being gauche and in the past it's earned him something of a a kind of comedy cult hero status but it goes without saying that you'd have a serious sense of humour failure when it comes to the livelihood and fate of your family member.
1: To use Kim Jong-un's phrase for Donald Trump on Twitter he is definitely a bit of a dotard Sometimes I think it's a bit like if Giles Coram was in office, you know, very clever, sort of seemingly genial, but with absolutely no awareness of his actions or the havoc that his words can cause. I use Giles Coram, by the way, because as some of you may have seen, he's come under fire for writing a silly little piece about his chubby son and the ramifications of having a, the condescension in which you threw away a, that having <laughs> a fat size. he's a brilliant writer I think he's writing these really stupid pieces that do not chime with where we are culturally no. socially anythingly um, I can't decide who's more dangerous actually Boris Johnson or Jacob Rees-Mogg in this instance because a woman's life is at stake Boris I also remain furious on Richard and Nazanin's part that it took Boris 16 months to meet with Richard um, which he's doing at this very moment that we are recording actually news broke this morning that they are meeting And undoubtedly, he's only doing it because he might lose his job, because Theresa May is under pressure to fire him. The Green Party MP Caroline Lucas went on BBC News at the time of record, this time last week actually, and read out a list of Boris's historic buffoonery, which have included a telegraph column casting doubt on the reality and existence of climate change. He described the Congolese as having watermelon smiles. Quite Prince Philip, that. He said the Papian people are cannibals, and he joked about clearing away dead bodies in Libya. At the peak of Boris mania,
2: which was kind of around 2012, Grace Dent wrote a piece that I'll never forget, which was about him for The Independent, and it's about being cautious of this cult following that developed, and I just wanted to quote from it now. The growing cult of Boris, and it is a cult, is not to be underestimated by his detractors or enemies. Yes, I'm told daily he's a wolf in sheep's clothing, play bumbling his way to power, a prat-falling despot, Idi with a squirting flower on his lapel. In fact, according to some of my colleagues, Boris stage managed being caught on a zip wire, his limbs flapping like a daddy long legs, his gonad strangled by a self-induced wedgie, wearing a silly helmet just to make himself more adorable. And you fell for it, people snapped. He's a politician for people who don't like or understand politics or policies. What Boris stands for, in my mind, is cycling. He's pro, wind in your hair, great outdoors, whizzer fun, great larks, well, who isn't? And living la London vida loca.
1: I remember that um, picture on the zip wire. Know, yeah. Funny to think it might have been manufactured. As for the cult, it is exactly what's happening with Jacob Rees-Mogg mm-hmm. right now. He's mm-hmm. got this fanatic audience. God, that's a good bit of writing. Idiomine with a squirting flower. Look, Boris isn't all bad. He certainly isn't Idiomine. Those bikes were a great idea. Of course, they're now called Santander bikes. And side note, why the fuck is there not a bank of cycling hats next to those Santander bikes? And that it's mandatory to pop in a pound for a hat mm. before you are allowed to access your bike. So dangerous not to have a hat on a bike. Yeah, you see yeah. tourists all over London, on these clunky old bikes, not knowing where they're going without hats. Really annoys me. But yeah, diplomatic relations, not his strong suit. And he is the foreign secretary. What I find really baffling, and I know that I'm so naive here, I don't know enough, is just how often it feels like the British government is just so impotent In these scenarios, I know that very often their hands are tied. For example, to give a slightly crass comparison, Obama was heavily criticised last year for letting five Afghan detainees out of Guantanamo in exchange for the release of Bo Bergdahl, the American soldier on whom season two of Serial is based. But Nazanin is entirely innocent, whereas Bo Bergdahl is actually probably going to face prison back in the US. You hear horror stories of people misunderstanding local customs and regulations to cite a very current news story. British woman Laura Plummer faces jail in Egypt as she didn't realise that Tramadol, which she was carrying for her husband's bad back, was illegal in Egypt. And of course you hear about expats being jailed in Dubai for cavorting when drunk. But this is just senseless and it really makes you furious that Boris and Teresa anyone can't do anything and that after 16 months when even I knew mm-hmm. that Nazanin wasn't training journalists in Iran he can't even work out what her actual job is mm-hmm. surely you could have just asked Thompson Reuters what she did And, you know, as I said, that's probably my naivety, but it does feel unbearable to even witness, let alone to be going through it.
2: I completely agree. I had exactly the same thoughts, and it might be because I'm not educated enough on the machinations of how this stuff works, but it does make you absolutely terrified about what action would be taken on your behalf by your government if you or your family Mm. ever found themselves in a situation as horrific as this. Obviously, the only important thing here is that Nazanin's innocence is proven clearly and that she can come home to her family. Yes, may we all pray for
1: that. It's now time for Ask the Hilo. Dolly, kick us off. Hi
2: Dolly and Panda. I love you so much, the Hilo is my safe haven. I'm one year into my second serious relationship, having learnt a lot from my first, which was verbally abusive and made me lose trust in relationships. I've learned a lot from that relationship and I'm now happy in my relationship but struggling with the fact that all my friends seem to be breaking up with their long time partners and quote unquote, living their life. I love my boyfriend and wouldn't swap being with him for the world, but my friends are all expressing their freedom in a way that they believe can only be because they're single. Also, listening to what is happening in the world today with relationship betrayal always at the forefront of the media. And the lovely Dolly expressing her dislike of men. I admire and adore her for it, of course. I live in fear of being cheated on, despite my belief that this relationship is different from my last. Pandora, how do you look past this with your husband? I'd love to hear about and understand how you cope with the modern day reputation of everyone cheating and being young and single.
1: I love how much there is going on in this email. I know. There's about 48 different questions. Well, that's why I thought
2: it was quite an interesting one there. There are a couple of things that I'd obviously personally like to address. Well,
1: firstly, <laughs> lol, a Dolly's dislike of men. Would you say you dislike men? Because I'd say that you both love and hate them. No, I'm really glad she brought this Defin- up, actually. There's, it's definitely not antipathy. There's vehement no. reaction.
2: Yeah, I'm glad she brought this up because this is something that a few people have mentioned to me recently, and I'd like to really go on record and say I really, really love men. You know, I, I'm... I'm very I'm very I can't
1: believe it's come to this
2: I know but it's so funny I do worry that people think I'm a man hater and I'm really not and you know even do recently you think it's because of our live event with Google you said you'd never had a positive well man- weirdly I'm joking sorry say at the, no 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 that's what made me think we did our live record at Google and Pandora was saying that she has a positive experience with men every day and I said as well I, as
1: bad ones yeah
2: and I said I didn't and I said the reason why is. After we did that record, I thought about the fact I said that and I realised I work from home on my own. I don't have a boyfriend. I have like two close heterosexual male friends. My team at Penguin, who I'm doing my book with, you know, who we're campaign planning with, are all women.
1: Can I interrupt you here? I think what you're missing is the micro act. So, for example, I noticed when I went into my newsagent last week the newsagent spotted my baby on board badge and he said, oh, congratulations, beautiful thing. Tiny little thing. Yeah. Maybe when you go and get your coffee from Starbucks, you might not notice that the man behind says, like, have a nice day, Dolly. Yeah, yeah. Now I've said that, I wonder if you'll find... Not the macro I people think, in your life,
2: but micro. But I think there is a real masculinity missing in my life. Charlie, basically, the only man in my life. Not that's to put a too good, much pressure on you. there you go, there's a good male experience. But there is a good male experience because Charlie, especially when we're talking about all the stuff we talk about, Charlie you know always comes from an angle that makes me feel reassured. The other day, my friend Ed came round for lunch and it was in the wake of all the Me Too stuff. And I do get what this listener's is saying. Sometimes it does make you sort of a bit exhausted by them and it and it makes you conflate all men into one lump. And I,
1: I had it's...
2: this I had this lunch with him and I was like, oh, I really needed to hang out with a wonderful man and
1: remember that's a silly thing to think. I don't think it's helped as well, actually, by some of the people that I really admire on Twitter have been tweeting stuff that I just find really unhelpful to this sort of cultural conversation at the moment. Lauren Duca, I love. She's this really popular journalist in the US who wrote that piece about how Trump is gaslighting America for Teen Vogue, mm. and it made her now one of the most popular kind of young cultural voices in US media. She's tweeted, and she's and she's married, so I'm not saying she does hate men, but she's tweeted a few things which are along the lines of like I hate men, or you know, sort of can all men just die? And there's been several people doing that, and that I think you you wonder why yeah, it yeah. becomes quite binary. You mm. know, you don't do that but I think it's good that you've cleared up that you don't hate men no I don't and the other thing to remember
2: is I hate the culture of misogyny it goes without saying um and I had very bad experiences with men when I was younger but a lot of the work that I've done over the last year and a half and growing up has been recognizing my part that I played in that as well you know so it's I don't I don't hate men and I certainly think and hope that I'll be able to fall in love with someone wonderful like the man that you talk about in your letter um, and have a respectful loving partnership
1: as for I just want to say two things as for your friends or actually uh, more than two things I'm really glad you learnt from your abusive relationship firstly and that you have clearly moved on so that worrying any worries about your second relationship are actually not hangovers from your first horrid one but more you know new issues that you're confronting to me that shows that you have properly dealt with the ramifications of that so well done i really applaud you yeah um i don't know what your friends are on about let them let them go live their lives quote unquote you can still live your life in a relationship if you're happy with the man you're with so do not feel that kind of pressure that's madness when that happens that's sheep mentality you do what works for you and you and ollie really are
2: kind of the poster couple for that In for me in my mind as a woman who's single and who has perhaps fetishized singledom a bit in the past and i think in my head i've thought i can only be my truest self and i can only be freest and working and having my best life when i'm on my own and then as you get older you see these perfectly functioning couples that have autonomy apart and together and you and your mm. husband are a real inspiration to me in that way and they do exist and it's not as simple as life is easy All in no it really isn't <laughs> i think
1: there's i think um i'm surprised when people uh don't realize that there is a freedom in coupledom i am more free perhaps not physically i can't go move to new york tomorrow which is something that i always hoped i might do in my 20s um So I'm not physically free, but I am mentally much more free for being in the partnership I'm in. So I kind of never really understand yeah, that that binary, to use that word again, that binary definition of being single and being in a partnership. And do you Um, remember that thing you said to me last
2: week when I said we were so tired after a really difficult day's work and I said, I'm so happy I live on my own, I can't wait to go be on my own this evening oh, and you yeah. said that's when you know that you've really fallen in love, Dolly, because you'll meet someone for whom you'll feel that relaxed when you get home to
1: yes if I'm at home with Ollie I still feel like I'm on my own yeah he doesn't count as socializing so for an introverted extrovert mm. like myself that's definitely the the ideal you mentioned that you'd like to hear from me about how I cope with the modern day reputation of everyone cheating and being young and single well I don't think this is a modern-day reputation. I think it goes back to Greek myth when everyone was erosing around with each other. <laughs> and also, actually, cheating used to be much more socially accepted than it is now. Look at the 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s. Look at the royal family. Charles saying he wasn't going to be the first duke of whatever he is Without that didn't a have a mistress. Um So I don't think it's more of a thing now. I have lots of worries in my life, in my relationship, like everyone does. But my husband cheating on me isn't one of them. So I suppose I must just have faith that that's not something we're going to do to each other. Of course, you never know, you know seven and ten marriages end in divorce or whatever the hell it is and i was used to joke about how this was my starter marriage until it started going down really badly <laughs> um so i don't know but you i suppose get to a point where you just have um immeasurable trust that yes. that's never that's just never for me as a you know mad warrior that's just something i never worry about so and also it's kind don't of don't worry about that with your boyfriend enjoy the relationship you have Tell your friends you're living your life.
2: Yeah, I mean, that's nonsense. But also remember that falling in love, you know, there's a reason it's falling. It makes you, it can make you feel very vulnerable. It is a leap of faith. It is a leap of faith, but that's what's so romantic and beautiful about it. And
1: then six years later, you might be like me, where there's absolutely no fear of the vulnerability and you just waddle around, spotty, (laughs) fat and pregnant with gas. And you know, you've got all that oh to look You've got God. all that to look forward to, my friend. <laughs> Thank you so much to ACast for letting us use your studio to Google Pixel 2 for all sorts of lovely things. You can email the Hilo, show at gmail.com. You can tweet us at the Hilo Show. We have a very exciting episode next week. We literally can't wait. The
2: most exciting episode so far, perhaps.
1: It's quite um meta.
2: Yeah. Ooh, I wonder what they'll guess. See you then. Bye. It's not literally through.